Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. My name is Mamadou Balde, and I'm your host. This podcast has two objectives. To provide a platform for minority professionals to share their inspiring stories and to inspire minority students to believe that their options are unlimited and that they can be whoever they desire to be. I hope this podcast ignites that fire inside of you and pushes you to strive to be the best you. On this podcast, I will be bringing minority guests from a variety of professions, engineering, medicine, entrepreneurship, law, business, etc., who will be sharing their journey to where they are today with you. I hope that these stories will inspire you to believe that whatever your goal or your dream is, you can do it too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the You Can Do It Too podcast. In this episode, I welcome my brother Umaru, an MD-PhD student from UT Southwestern in Dallas. He talks about his childhood, his family having to evade the Sierra Leone war, leaving everything behind and starting over. He talks about moving to Harlem at a young age and evading all the kids who wanted to test his karate in the cafeteria. He talks about defying the odds and finding a way out of nowhere, not just to create a dream for himself, but to push it with all his might. Tune in. What are you grateful for? I'm just grateful to be where I am. Um, there's many individuals, you know, thinking back who I feel like, you know, would love the position that I'm in. And I can't forget that every single time because um, as difficult as it is to be a medical student and trying to push forward, you have to realize um, it's a privilege to be a physician. It's a privilege to be a researcher, as we have seen throughout the last years. Um, last year and a half with the pandemic, it's a privilege to um, talk to people and for them to tell you, you know, what their inner thoughts are, things that they don't even tell their spouses or partners. It's a privilege to be doing science, you know, to be moving forward with knowledge of you know, understanding of how diseases are and ways of trying to fix that. But I'm also grateful for all the people around me, you know, for everyone's been pushing me. Um, for individuals who I talk to on a regular, individuals who I talk to sometimes, you know, because it does take a village. So I'm grateful for a lot of things. Grateful to be Definitely. alive. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And uh, I, don't, I don't even know how, how many people have died because of COVID-19 worldwide. The last time I heard was 7 million. Is that true? It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I don't know the stats off my head, but it's definitely yeah. pushing more than three, four million. Um, it's, it's interesting it, it, it's to crazy. say the least, but it's, it's definitely affected a lot of people and still going, it's still going, so. It's crazy, it's crazy, man. And you talking about the, the fact that we are always moving forward, trying to get to the next thing and not really stopping and imagining mm -hmm. what was yesterday like. Yeah. Uh, 2020 has definitely been a year that really pushed many of us to to take some time and really think about our life, what we care about, what yeah. really matter to us. How is that for you? Can you talk about that experience for you? Um, I mean, it, it was just interesting to see the world on pause. Like it gave people a chance to sit back and be like, and breathe in and out. Just because, you know, people weren't going out, rushing to the supermarkets, rushing to go to work. They were at home with their loved ones, um, just, you know, reflecting on what this, what this could be and what it is. So it gives people the chance to see, you know, what makes you happy. Um, you know, a lot of people quit their jobs after that. I mean, a lot of people lost their job, but after they came back, they quit their job because they realized they were happier when they got that job than now. So I think it took a lot of people off their feet because, you know, when we're always moving, we never have time to sit back and breathe and, and realize what's most important to us. So mm -hmm. now people take time to run outside, to go do yoga and to, and mental health became a huge, even bigger than before. So people started recognizing that I'm not at my best if my mental is not there. So yeah. same thing for me is just that recognizing, you know, 
the degrees and everything is cool, but it's recognizing what makes me happy. You know, what does yeah. make me happy, whether it's, you know, came from my community, whether it's, you know, speaking to my parents or my siblings every day, you know, it's those things, that, those little wins that, that, that drives me more than anything else. So I think the pandemic was, it was just unfortunate with all the, the loss, the death, the stress and everything that came with it. Um, there was also a lot of recognition of what matters to society. You know, what's essential to you, what's essential to society, what's essential to our communities. And I feel like a lot of people came together um, and learned those those important lessons. So, yeah, those little things, those little things are definitely things that we did not appreciate before. Uh, I remember uh, like three years ago when I was in college, just pushing through, you know, spending mm -hmm. days without talking to my parents. But now it's like, we need to talk, right? I need to hear from you because no other day is guaranteed. And I remember at the beginning of, of uh, 2020, uh, many people were very happy about the new decade, right? Many people had a of their Instagram stories and I did the mm -hmm. same thing, right? This the the, the <laughs> new year revelation, what is it? Yeah, uh, new year revelation. <laughs> uh, everybody was like, this is gonna be the best decade of our life. And 2020 came strong, hit. And I feel like yeah. definitely, definitely it has been the one of the worst year for many people's life, right? I also looked at it another way, right? In order to in order to get to a place that you never been before, you have to go through things and sacrifice things that you never uh, did before, which is not something that you are willing to do. But sometimes it's necessary to have that kind of hard skin to really get you through those big obstacles in the future. And I feel like that was 2020 for us. It really pushed us to, it, it, it allowed us to go through challenges that really strengthened us to be able to go through the obstacles that we need to go through to get to where we wanna be. Yes, I think it gave us time to reflect on a lot of stuff, um, on equality, on social justice, on climate and everything. Cause that's just more like the big stuff, but also on a personal level, like it gave you time to sit back and, you know, you weren't rushing to go to work, you weren't, most of us weren't doing work that much. It was just like, okay, let me sit back and see what is going on. So I think, you know, that's needed. I would say, you know, and a lot of people took those lessons moving forward. You know, maybe once every two weeks, I would sit back and be like, am I happy? Am I doing this right? Am I progressing the way I want to progress? Um, and that, that's, those are lessons that people have learned. And also that, you know, life could be instant, you know, with the amount of people that were lost because of the pandemic, you realize Definitely. how fragile life is with everything else. Um, and one of the biggest things that I learned was, you know, I mean, I've known it, but it's the inequality in everything as well. Yeah. So there is that aspect as well. So people are recognizing it even more now because it's right in, in front of our eyes. Uh, yeah. Whether it's like racial inequality, wealth inequality, all inequalities that are out there, um, you know, gender inequalities, all of that is just like now even out front because we are forced to sit back and and actually learn or actually see what is going on in society. So definitely, there is an aspect of it. Yeah, I, I just thought about this. This is not a question that I asked before, but I feel like it's important. So you working in medicine and uh, mm -hmm. like during this COVID-19, you guys really had, you COVID-19 really showed how important medicine is and, and the health yeah. worker. And you guys working hard for hours and hours, like all day, say, trying to save lives in, in the hospital and stuff like that. And you also seen that many people that were affected because of COVID-19 were people in the black community. Yes. And then you start seeing, people the black people being killed in the news again right and, and yeah how was that how was that for you guys like you are working so hard trying to save people but you feel like you are not safe when you go out there you you yourself are not safe what was that experience like for you and people like you working in the healthcare industry i think i think it was interesting um because you know many of the essential workers are the minorities or like the Blacks, Latino, um, like they are the essential workers. That's your bus drivers, 
the the janitors and the cleanup crew, um, a lot of the nurses and stuff like that. Um, so they frame it as this way: there's two pandemics happening at the same time, which is like racism, but also um, the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, and with those things, it's just recognizing um, what in society led to those things because they're both intermixed. COVID affected a lot more of these communities because of the system of racism that has been going on forever. You know, even when, even before COVID, you, you, you probably already heard, you know, maternal mortality rate is higher in the black community. Um, hypertension, diabetes, higher rates, all of those things are higher rates, higher rates. And it's not because of like, things that are innately with us. There is some aspect of that, but it's mostly because of what society is and how society is structured. Um, is mainly because of what we call here social determinants of health is always, um, you know, and it took for us to recognize that, um, you know, because we saw it directly affecting, you know, what this pandemic came and now we see it even more. So, and being, you know, being a medical student and being, you know, uh, quote-unquote essential worker, is just recognizing that there are still a lot of problems. And whenever something worse comes to society, just know it's us that affects even worse at the end of it. So mm -hmm. if there's a war, if there's whatever, if there's shortages, if there is less money, is it inflation, whatever it is, just know it's the minorities, it's the people who are who are just straggling on by who will be more affected. And, and that sometimes hurts, and but also gives, you know, for me, it gives me more energy to go back and try to be the best um, that I can be. Wow, that's amazing. That's definitely a big purpose to fight for. Mm -hmm. Wow. And uh, it's definitely obvious to, 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 to know that many Black people live in the inner cities, and inner cities does not have uh, the right grocery store, the right parks, right? That encourage a preventative healthcare mindset. And all of that are social determinants of health that leads mm -hmm. to the underlying illness that's affecting uh, Black people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, where, did you, where were you born and where did you grow up? So um, my family was was originally from Guinea, but everyone left early on to in search of the riches. So everyone went to Sierra Leone. So a lot of my family were in Sierra Leone, and then so I was born in Sierra Leone, and then the civil war started in Sierra Leone. So everyone left Sierra Leone again. Um, wow. I left all of the riches and things. You know, I even think about it today because our family was pretty well off in Sierra Leone. They were doing business and stuff like that. I imagine having to leave all of that because of a war. And then starting from zero again. But that also gave you know, my father the opportunity to leave and come to the US um, when I was young. So I was born in Sierra Leone and then went to Guinea. And that's what I've known. You know, Guinea is two different countries. You know, Sierra Leone is more of an English speaking, and then Guinea is a Francophone country. So I don't know Sierra Leone that much. I still haven't been back, but um, we plan on going back soon just to see what it's like over there. Um, but you know, I was I grew up in Guinea. I from like first to sixth grade, I did in Guinea, and you know, I came to the U.S. when I was ten years old. So, um, I mean, just things, just seeing what it's like growing up there. You know, sometimes I still get the flashes of like different things that were happening. You know, me going back to Guinea a lot recently, you know, has erased a lot of those things. I have new memories now, but just recognizing you know, coming from that type of background, you know, a lot of us, you know, that gives us motivation to do yeah. more. And I still talk about it in my personal statements all the time. You know, I'm doing infectious disease research because of all the infectious things that I've seen still um, debilitating majority of the population in Guinea and Sierra Leone and a lot of the sub-Saharan Africa. So Definitely. a lot of my original background still drives a lot of what I'm doing today. So... Um, That's you know, amazing. it's just seeing that it's just, it, it becomes a part of you. Yeah, I'm reading this book right now, uh, written by Paul Farmer uh, about mm -hmm. Ebola. 
Yeah. Uh, and he's talking about the the villages and cities in Guinea. And I remember yeah. when Ebola started, I was in high school. I didn't know what it was, but now that I'm yeah. reading this, it's like, wow, this was really happening. Yeah, it, it, it was very it was very interesting. <laughs> it, it was just yeah. like one of those things was like since we're in the US, we feel shielded, but then it's just recognized that this is a very deadly disease. Yeah. Like it is very deadly. And because of the culture and the customs of, you know, Guinea and Sierra Leone, that propagated it even more. But also because of the health infrastructure, that really propagated even more. Like, yeah. It, like, just like right now, we learn what's not working because of you see the problems. So, you're like, that, yeah. we thought that was working, but it's not working. So, it gives <laughs> yeah. a chance to address some of those things. And that's what Ebola did for those West African countries. Definitely. Talking about uh, your family living in Sierra Leone, I had a lot of family also who are in Sierra Leone uh, from, mm-hmm. from Dabola and Dalaba, who, a lot yeah. of uncles who, who, who were in Sierra Leone and had to run uh, by feet, come back yeah. to Guinea when civil war started. How mm-hmm. was, uh, so your, your, your dad left there and came to the U.S. straight, but how was that adaptation for you guys going back to Guinea first? Um, so my father, we actually all came to Guinea first and then he left um, and then came to the U.S. So mm-hmm. I mean, I was young. I was like three, three years old. So I yeah. don't remember much, uh, but from what my mom tells me, you know, we went to Futa first, you know, the village in Mamu, and after wow. that went to Konakri. So I mean, I still remember, because every time I go back, I go straight to the place where we used to live, which is like this, we had a one one room in this place where we rented from someone else, and it was just like us living there, and there's like eight of us, so it's a big family with my mom and stuff like that, so I still remember those parts, but you know, being young, you don't need much, you just feel like, you always feel well, because you already have your siblings, you have everyone else, but now recognizing that, it's like, it's like you think about it even more and be like, wow, I lived through that in a one bedroom with like eight people. My mom just trying to make it, even though my father was in the U.S., you know, it still felt like we're still straight scrapping by because my mom had to go sell stuff in the street. Um, yeah. She had a little boutique in front of the thing selling oranges, among other candy and other stuff just to supplement income. You know, all I was doing was going to school, you know, trying to make it out. And still, you know, I always loved school for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was more of that. It was, you know, we trying yeah. to go to school. Especially your father was in the US, right? So he wasn't yes. there to help out and he had to also start his own life here. So he was even exactly harder. exactly. Yeah. So and you don't recognize how hard it is to be in the US until you're here, you're like, and you're an adult and you're like, it is hard to be here. In Guinea, you get a free meal and a free place to stay. Here, if you don't have anything, you stay in the outside and you don't yeah, eat. so it, it, it takes a while for you to recognize, like, it's hard to survive in the U.S. But people yeah. don't realize that when, when you're in, in, in most of those African countries, you're like, you're the U.S., you're doing good. So, yeah. but then you recognize that you're like, I'm here in lab or work, you know, trying to make ends meet every single day and things get expensive. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other stuff that you have to deal with. So, mm-hmm. but similarly, you deal with, you deal with a lot of problems, but, you know, I always tell my friends, everyone suffer differently. What, what, you, what you're suffering with, you cannot compare what someone else suffering because, you know, just because of the way we react to it. I might see that and be like, that's small, but what someone else see or what someone else see be like, that's difficult. So everyone definitely. suffers differently. So that's, yeah. Definitely, definitely. And, and, and it, yeah, definitely. I, I I didn't know your story about Sierra Leone. That's, that's crazy. Cause I, I've heard a lot of stories about that. Many people leaving uh, their, yeah. their, all their stuff in Sierra Leone and having to start all over again in Guinea uh, with yeah. nothing. It, it was definitely a pretty sad uh, moment in the, uh, during that time. That's, yep. that's that's crazy but uh so you start so your parents moved your, your dad moved from the from guinea and came to the u.s and then you eventually mm-hmm. joined him you and yep, your... in 2002 me and my siblings so my mom was still in africa at that time so me and my siblings we came first um 
Yeah, that was a whole different. Moving it to Harlem in the early 2000s. <laughs> Harlem. Wow. How yeah. was that? You know, like when you're in Africa and you're like, I'm coming to the US, you think you're going straight to downtown. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you move into Harlem, where at that time Harlem was crazy. It was just like, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't the best of places to grow up in, you know, the influence, the poverty, the crimes, and all of that was there. And being African at that time was just like, it was like a sentence to get beat up and jumped every single time. I remember my first week at school going to thing, I got, this kid just poured milk over my head and called me African booty scratcher. And then I got jumped. I was like, what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. like every single time I just run them home and it's like what I do to these people like every yeah. single time like you don't want to start going through that and then I didn't know English so I was just like trying to figure out English trying to f- figure out why these kids are trying to beat me up every day and then trying to survive that and then we moved here we went to another one bedroom <laughs> so it's <laughs> like oh we went one bedroom to another one bedroom <laughs> and it was wow. like my siblings still so it was still like yeah, it was the same amount of people in the one bedroom trying to survive again. Wow. So it was like similar things, just trying to make it, um, in, learning English, trying to pass classes while getting jumped every day and bullied <laughs> in school. Like, it was just like, and now that I think about it, it's like, you realize how much that you've been through and you're like, I survive a lot of this stuff. I can survive, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I, yeah, because I, I came in. Yeah, I came in at sixth grade, so I was in the sixth grade, and yeah, it was just because wow. when you don't know a language, everything else is harder. Because how are you gonna learn? Yeah. <laughs> like math was easier because it's like I can see the math and I can see them moving things. I don't even have to learn language. Everything yeah. else, science, the English itself, um, social studies, and all of that was like I don't know English. So how, I mean, I was in ESL class in the beginning. Yeah. And then I was learning fast, so they moved me out of ESL. And then, you know, it, I always liked learning. So it became like I would even try hard. And I, like I would stay in the library after school because I didn't want to go outside with these kids because every time I go outside <laughs> and they're outside, <laughs> they'll start chasing me for no reason. I don't know. So I that? definitely feel that. I definitely feel that. It's like the yeah. teacher say, why are you still here? Oh, I'm still doing homework. Yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> Give me one more hour. <laughs> Give me one more hour. Everyone else left. Okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I, I definitely thought uh, that that was just me because when I came, I, I came in also around the age of thirteen, right, and started yeah. school at eighth grade. And uh, you know, you come, you dress up like in guinea, and you try to wear the nice shoes, and yeah. everybody start looking at you like, "Who's this kid?" It's <laughs> <laughs> weird. Everybody wanna whoop you. And yeah. test you. They want to test you first. Yeah, hundred percent. It, it was that. crazy. Like, just dealing with From, dealing with that. It's too much. <laughs> wow. So in Harlem, in that one thing that I want to ask you: How did your dad make sure that none of your none of those influences reach you, or how did you manage to really focus on school? And, and and not follow any of those influences because as a, as a, yeah. as a kid you you want to be part of the group right you want to you want to yeah. have peers and you don't want to do what everybody else is not doing how did you yeah. manage i think i think just staying i think the fear of going outside and i can beat up helps <laughs> <laughs> but also like i mean it wasn't the parent was my father was always working and you know bills are there so it was more of like I think you realize like what you need to do overall um and you focus on that I mean I still like in high school I definitely was thinking out or doing crazy stuff here and there but in the back I was still doing good in school because that's one thing I knew I was like that's one that's one thing I was like I could do that I -hmm. can handle that so I think those good grades I always got those made me happier than being outside being with the crew so yeah. that always balanced me out because I would go outside, hang out with friends, we'll go and start shopping. But 
I will make sure I finish my homework first before I go and do all of that. Because I still yeah. hung out. I still did all of that stuff. Get on bikes, be riding around and go do stupid stuff. But then at the end of the day, I'll make sure my homework is done, make sure everything else. Because once I see a bad grade, you know, that was always ingrained in me. If I see a bad grade, it would just shut me down. Like, I cannot. That cannot happen. I can get out. I need to fix yeah, it. Yeah, I need to fix this. And that's, you know, I think a lot of the problem with the kids now is they don't have that type of innate fear. Like, I fear that more than I fear anything else. Because it wasn't me fearing my parents. They would be like, oh, it wasn't me fearing anyone else. It was me fearing for myself. Mm. And that's what drives you. You having fear for yourself. Like, Where do like, you feel like that came from? I mean, even early on, like, I went to school early because my sister, it was two years older than me. She was like, she was basically five. They pushed it in school. I'm like, I got to go too. So I was like, oh, it's competing <laughs> with her. I think that's where it came into. So, like, you know, in Guinea, they give you, like, first place, second place, third place. Exactly. And we're always in the same grade. So <laughs> every single time, I'm just like, you're not going to beat me. So that yeah. just became ingrained. I was like, and every single time, it, I would get a grade. I'd be like, well, how would my sister do? So <laughs> every single time, it was just like, that, that became ingrained early on because I was always competing with my sister. So wow. being with that, I was kept with that. Like, that's... I think that's what saved me, honestly, from the street, because I could count the amount of friends right now who I had during those high school and junior high school who are actually career-focused doing things. Like, I think that's what I feel for this next generation, is they're going to have that inner fear of, like, of failing to be more than anything else. Because for me, it wasn't about the money. It was just like, I got to get grace. Remember, that was what I saw. It was, you know, mm-hmm. this generation now is like money. Yeah. That's money. That's what they that's what they feared, not having it money. Is. Me, my fear was not being somebody. Yeah, those mm-hmm. are two different things. You can have the money and not be somebody, or you can have you can be somebody and not have the money, or you can have be somebody. Like it was just like my logical step was always like education. I gotta be there, wow. I gotta do that. Because that's what my mom, mom always forced on us too. You know, in Guinea, it's like yeah, not first three place. All right. <laughs> gotta be first. Who, who was first? It was either me or my sister, always. Like, was always he eating more than you? Did he <laughs> did he have more food? <laughs> like once you're first, you know, you know, you get that sandwich, you know, like the, the eggs and yes. You always ate rice. <laughs> so, like, made... Yeah, so it's just like, you know, um, there was all those aspects of it. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, just be scared for yourself that you're going to lose. And yeah. that, that was always a big thing. And They even made it worse in school. They made it worse in school because they always gave you gift. Number one had more gift than number two oh, yeah, than they, number they, three. They, yeah, <laughs> but you, I definitely, I definitely uh, can, can connect with what you said about your sister. I feel like we really need to thank them. I was also, I had also a big sister and she was always number one. And every time, Mama, why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like your sister? <laughs> so I couldn't even yeah. be number three. I had to be number one. Well, yeah, exactly. So there was that. Um, but I think, you know, like just, just being content when my grades came in, that actually helped out because that was why I didn't drop out of school. A lot of my friends did. You know, they see it as hard. It's like, no. Me, I always thought about, like, what would my sister be doing? Right, let me get that. Let me get my grades. You know, sometimes I would slip, and the next semester, I'd be like, yo, I got to get this back. So wow. because I had good grades, I left. And I always tell people, leaving your home is a form of self-care. Leaving your home is a form of self-growth. It's a form of, like, development to the next stage. I went to Albany, you know, for undergrad. I know, New Paltz wow. first. That gave me a whole different perspective. You go around, you know, in Harlem, I was surrounded by the same type of individuals, typically my friends and calling people, hustling and trying to make it out. I make money. But when I went to um, New Paltz, my friend from Long Island, a white kid, you know, seeing him, how he, he interacts with his parents. I'm like, oh, I interact with my parents. And seeing my <laughs> other friends be like, wow, these people got it. And it's not even about money. It's just got it. Like you see that they got it. And it's more to life than just the money. It's also like the 
a name, the degrees and everything else that surrounds you, the credits. So you start learning about pieces of things that you never learn about, financial security, learning about all of these other things that makes you better as a person yeah. that wasn't a priority in Harlem because we we're just surviving. So just being around other types of individuals, you know, it boosts you. It, it, it shows you what else can be there. So I was like, I'm involved. What, a resume? Okay. Like all of that stuff you learn because you're surrounded by people who were like spoon fed those things. And then now you try to get something from them. Like, okay, I see that kid doing that. How's he doing that? Wow. I can do that. Why am I not doing that? Oh, I didn't know about it. Now I know. Push on, push yeah. on, push on. And then the same thing with Albany and all of that. I'm like, oh, they're doing that. And then you learn skills that prepares you for the next step forward. And I went to college. It's like, oh, college, cool. But now I know when I go to the next stage, I'm searching what's out there, what I can take from that place. What opportunities are there? All of that stuff you learn. Because you, know, you see that other kid there, he's preparing for next semester. And you just say like, wait, what am I doing right now? Exactly. So you're like, wow, these people think 20, 30 years in the future. And me, I'm thinking today. Why am I, why am I thinking about today when I could think about 10, 20, 30 years from now? Or like even five years from now? Oh, wow, this kid said he's got an internship lined up for summer. Oh, wait, we got to apply that right now? Oh, why am I not doing that? See, you recognize that you got to plan and you got to push ahead and you got to learn things more than because it became that my biggest fear was not knowing because if you don't know, you can't apply it. So you become better at recognizing what's next, what's next, what's next. How can I troubleshoot where I am? So, wow. you know, Definitely. I think moving away was the greatest gift I gave to myself, honestly, because if not, yeah. I probably would have ended up in the same stages as I've always been. Definitely. And I feel like many kids right now are more instant gratification oriented. They just want to get yeah. it now, now. And, and they do not have the patience to focus on that future. I agree. That's crazy. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Nah. So when I, high school, I, went, I mean, I went to high school for science and math because I always knew I like science and math. And then when I went to college at Newport, I was doing actually international business first because I thought, hey, uh, I know people who are doing business. So I could do that. You cannot, you cannot fathom of, of being something you haven't seen. It doesn't work that way. You have to see other people doing it and be like, okay, I've never seen a black doctor in my, my doctor's always been like white and stuff like that. So I'm always, you never think about it. So I was like, I know people do business and they always push you business, business. I'm like, my father was a businessman technically. So I could do that too. And then I started taking classes, science, and like all the business classes that I needed. I was like, I don't like this business stuff. So when I started taking human biology and stuff, I'm like, it clicked. You know, if you like stuff, it clicks. And then yeah. you're like, you're more passionate about learning it. And like, you like engage more in it. It's like, this is even better. I could do this. Ah, I could be a doctor. <laughs> and wow. then I started getting more science classes. I'm like, okay, it's solidified. And I went to, and then I transferred out from New Paltz to University of Albany. It was bigger. They had more opportunities. Because, you know, that first year I learned, you need the opportunities and resources to push you to yeah. the next level. So yeah. Albany went, I was like, I need to take everything that's here. So I need to be everything that this, I need to be a legend. Like I just approach that way with everything that I do now. I'm moving on to a new place. I'm going to be a legend. Like, not just doing stuff because I got to do it right. No, I'm going to do stuff. They're going to see what my passions are. And I'm going to manifest everything that I always wanted out of that place. And I'm going to take all the opportunities that they have there, whether it's financial or support or guidance, whatever it is, we're going to make it happen. So, wow. yeah, that first time when I took in science classes, that's what led me to thinking about being a physician, honestly. But it wasn't like I knew what I'm going to be. In the background, I was like, I'm taking science classes to do pre-med. It wasn't like I had a path, like step by step. I'm going to be a doctor. This one, everything else after that came by stumbling upon it. So, which I don't have. That's why I mentor a lot of people nowadays because I'm like, I don't want you to stumble upon things. I want you to have a set direction, at least have the basics and the foundation to move forward with a lot of these things so that you're not stumbling. I'm always available. Text me, call me. Yeah. If you have a, if like literally my mentee the other day sent me a whole class. I'm like, what do you think? 
have my head. This is good. Or like, oh, I'm doing research. I'm like, yeah, here's a list of more opportunities for the summer. Maximize. You know, I give them the gems that I didn't have um, because I understand what they're coming in, first generation, you know, students and stuff like that. So, but, you know, everyone yeah. in their path. So if I can make someone's path easier, I definitely will. Overall. Man, that's the, that's the owner mentality, right? Many people go into opportunities with the tenant mentality. It's like they yeah. go in, it's like they're paying rent. I don't need to make this opportunity better, right? I just need to take what I can and just leave it like that. But when you come in with the owner mentality, you make it like your home and you're going to take yeah. care of it. You're going to do everything mm-hmm. you can to make the best out of it. That's amazing. Yeah, because yeah, like I could be a medical student. I always tell myself that. Or like when I was undergrad, I could be an undergrad student. But then what does that mean for me? I could be so much more, as LeBron says, more than, you know, he just said more than an athlete, but more than a student, more than a medical student, more than undergrad students. Because I was always trying to do more involvement, more um, research, more anything. I was like, I could, if, I, if I got the bandwidth for it, I could do it. I could try to do yeah. it. Same thing in mentality in the uni- in, uh, medical school. I could just be a physician. I don't want to be a physician because I know what my end goals are. I want to be more than that because I know what the opportunities just opens or the doors that this opens. So, and you can't, you can't always, you can't settle. I don't want to do the bare minimum. <laughs> I want to be the most. I want to do the most. And that, that's not even a brag or anything, but like, if I can do it's it, real. why not? Yeah. yeah, like I want to yeah. be that. I want to do that because I know if another kid who had the same background as me was given that opportunities I was given, it would murder those two. Yeah. So that's Man. the type of mentality I come in. I'm like, why am I not doing that? I'm doing that. I'm going to do that. And I'm, I don't take any excuses or like, oh, you know, I learned English when I was, you know, already like 10 or 12. Oh, no, I'm, not. I'm just like, all right. This kid's from Harvard here. This kid's from Yale, Princeton. Cool. We're still all in the same area, right? We're still in the same yeah. school now. Whatever they could do, I could do. Exactly. Whatever they try, I'm going to try. Everyone mm-hmm. starts in the same level. They learn all of they learn, what they learn somewhere. So I'm going to try to do the same thing. I'm going to try to learn as much as possible, not only from them, but from my mentors, from faculty, everyone just so that I can have the tools and the skills so the next kid comes, I could teach him, be like, hey, this is what I learned at this stage. And it is what, how you should approach it as well. So. That's amazing. And that's amazing. Where we came from is definitely, there were so many smart people back there who yep. never have the opportunity we had, right? And exactly. just because we were lucky, I feel like yep. any opportunity that we get now, if you don't say yes to it, it's an insult to them, right? Because yep. they never will get that opportunity. There is, uh, Man, bro, there is. I didn't know. Uh, I have known you for some time now, but I didn't know we yeah. had similar path mentality. But that's crazy. Yes, because you re- you realize, you know. I mean, we're talking to people. That's why I like talking to people. You realize, you know, the ambition, the paths, and like you know things that people want to do overall. Yeah. You know, you may not be in the health field, the health field, but. You know, you see similar problems and you tackle those with your organization and things like that. You, you tackle those and, you know, you have more ambitions than your career. Definitely. That's what it is. You have more aspirations to put a dent in society than, you know, than going to your nine to six or nine to five. So, and that's a type of mentality you need to, you know, do better in this society or to be better. Because that's, that's the type of thing we owe to our parents and, you know, just being in the U.S. with the opportunities and everything else that it comes with. Definitely. And I feel like you already know this answer, but I'll just go ahead and ask. You decided to become a doctor, but not just have an MD, but an MD-PhD. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, what were you thinking? But I, I feel I like not, I, at this stage, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six years in. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, typically med school is four years, and I'm just here like I'm six years in. I still got two, three more years. But okay, like I think for me it was um like I knew about the medicine part because you know I was doing these classes and stuff like that. But I didn't even know about PhD world until like my last year. I mean, I, I met like PhD people. They tell me you know I'm an assistant, graduate assistant, you know stuff like that. 
But I didn't know about MDPH until my senior year as well. And this is where I think mentorship and things like that comes in. Because as soon as I learned about it, it was already kind of late for me to apply to these programs, MDPHD program. And I didn't even have the requisites for them. Uh, more research, more research. So that's why I took an extra two years to do research before I even applied to these MDPHD programs. So, you know, for me, it's not the time anymore. The time is not a problem. Like it's stay in the program, that's fine. It's just what I do with the time, extra time that I have now in building what I need to build. So, you know, the past six years, I've afforded me the ability to do more than what I would have done with a typical MD. And like the MD-PhD program, which is like basically, you know, your doctorate in medicine and a doctorate in philosophy is just, you know, they do give you two different skills. The medicine part is, you know, to be a physician, you need the MD. You need to learn how to take care of people with medicine diseases. So you're learning. Right? This is what I explained. You're learning. You're taking in knowledge. In PhD, you're giving out knowledge. Yeah. Or you're creating knowledge. Those are way too different things. You can learn material and memorize it, but creating knowledge, that's a whole different type of level of understanding. Because yeah. once you have your PhD or like things like that, it means you were able to create processes for you to learn how to process for you how to create that knowledge. And a lot of things go wrong. So you got to figure out how to troubleshoot and how to basically fix stuff. And wow. you, you learn how to think, how to think beyond. If I get a result right now, how do I assess that? How can I read some manuscript and be like, okay, this is what my next step will be based on what I already have, what I think. That's a different type of knowledge. And so, and I think they complement each other, you know, because you're not going to, you, you're going to come to me as a patient and be like, I'm feeling this way. You're not going to come to me and be like, I have this disease, fix it. Right. So it takes more thinking than, you know, and more, yeah, you know, yeah. So I, I both, and also I was like, I need both because I know what I'm trying to get out of society or trying to do for society. Because for me, I want to go help build health infrastructures. So meaning I have to know about the healthcare system. Also, I have to think beyond what's today. Think, you know, as I was like, you're talking about those 10, 30 years. I have to think ahead and be like, okay, if I, if I want to create this, what are the, all the problems that that's going to be addressing? But also, what are all the problems that are going to come with me trying to create that? How can I fix those? You know, it's like stepwise fashion. That's the same thing with research. It's like, I'm going to propose something and I'm going to think about all the problems that I would need to troubleshoot. And then I'm going to think about how can I fix those problems and what new problems are going to come about. It's like always thing. And that's what the PhD teaches you. So, you know, I'm just trying to take a day at a time and learn how thing. And I'm glad I did this program because it has taught me a lot how to write grants, how to publish papers, and how to write something that's going to be other people going to read, how to communicate with people and how to speak clearly and get my message across because if you're going to be a leader you need those skills and i'm glad i took this longer path you know just to gain those set of skills that you learn through the phd bro that is so amazing and you just opened up my mind in terms of phd because i did not see it that way and i feel yeah, like that's definitely an amazing point of view you got to think about what you're going to get out of it. Because what most of the research I'm going to do here is going to be old news by the time I finish residency. But for me, it was just like the skills. Like, how can you think? Like, how can you move stuff ahead? Like, it's just, that's the things that, that make better. Do you know how to write a grant? How do you structure a grant? How do you structure a manuscript? How do you take in rejection? But, you know, when you submit a manuscript, how do you revise stuff? How do you make things to the point? How do you, like, all of those stuff, you don't just wake up and you're like, I got it. It's like you go through and you, you, you pick up those things and you refine them. And that's why the PhD, PhD is stronger than the MD because it takes wow. a lot more. It takes definitely a lot more. So. Wow. I just, I just undertook a project. Uh, I, I know you, you definitely know about all the different issues that's happening in Guinea. People dying yeah. for issues that has a, that has not that people are supposed to die anymore and yeah preventable diseases yeah yeah I recently took on a project uh, with my father uh, to build a hospital in Guinea and we can definitely talk about this a little bit offline uh, but 
definitely you're making me think in terms of uh, the PhD thing, uh, being able to learn how to think and just have skill set that's useful in terms of determining how to how to create an effective healthcare infrastructure, right? Yeah. That's gonna last for long. Yeah, because you know my mentors are you know they're in Guinea right now, and mm. you know they had to rethink a lot of the stuff that they wanted to do. Because uh, it's not just about building, building, building. There's clinics in Guinea. There's quote unquote healthcare, but it's just there's a lot more than that. There's mm-hmm. there's the policies are not there. So even if you build something, if you're still taking these Guinean Guinean doctors and they stay used to a certain level of culture and and thing, you're basically expecting different results with the same thing, which won't happen. So you gotta have you gotta think about and you gotta know health infrastructure, right? You gotta know how healthcare works because Guinea, the way they do healthcare there, that's why there's problems. Is they have the guidelines, but the guidelines are not there. Like yeah. there's a lot of things. Like you know, you follow the or it's most boasting like being here being in the medical center and seeing how things are done and then going again and working there see how they do stuff there it's not the same thing it is <laughs> not, not the same. same thing so you gotta understand what other way is there to do healthcare and yeah. for you to build out you gotta know those things so that when things go wrong that's why i'm like because i when things I'm like what can go wrong i could take in information but what can i if something was gonna go wrong for example in getting like anesthesia anesthesi- like or like all uh, the techniques to clean stuff i know i, I could be like oh getting it does it like this what is out there in the literature that would be better that's what the phd yeah. is so you could take any topic that's why phd you could be you my phd in anything you can take any topic and you can find ways to make it better because you have the skills to learn about it you have the mm-hmm. skills to critically think about it there's all of those things you know like yeah it's just fascinating how what you could do when you think beyond what's already there. Man, I am so interested. We we'll definitely talk more about that. Let, let's that class together. <laughs> okay. I, I really man, I really didn't know it, all of this. I'm so glad I'm talking to you. I'm so glad that you took some time to be in the podcast. Um, no problem. Let's go, let's go back to MD PhD. So you decided to do that and you realized that you you have about eight years of MD, PhD, and then your residency mm-hmm. is four years. That's to- that's total of twelve years in that's medical. A long time. That's a long when you time. told when you told your parents about this, because uh, I know whenever I talk to my aunt <laughs> or uncles in Guinea, when are you getting married? You have a job now, right? <laughs> so talk a little bit about that. What was that process like? Talking to your parents and getting them to know that it's not about the time; it's about what you're trying to get out of the world. Yeah, I think it's always interesting because, you know, my parents never been to school or any of that. So they, it's always hard to explain even education, like even undergrad. Because I'm like, oh, they're like, oh, you finished four years. Not even about making money. That was undergrad. That's what, what, how many years? Seven years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So 2014, I graduated undergrad. And then I went in to Albert Einstein doing research for two years. Oh, you're a doctor now. I'm like, no, I'm just doing research. Like, what is that? So I'm like, oh, you almost done? I'm like, yeah, after this, I'm going to medical school. They're like, okay. And then first two years of med school. I'm like, yeah, I'm in medical school now. But are you done yet? They're like, no, I'm not done yet, but I'm still working on it. And then after that, they're like, you still in school? I'm like, yeah. So, but like, the thing about it is, um, I think I wrote about that in one of my books. It's like, it's difficult because like, you think about it. Some of your friends are engineers. They're already making six figures, and you're still in school making like thirty, forty thousand, which is barely enough for you to survive. But then your family needs money, and it becomes hard sometimes because you're literally juggling passion versus, you know, helping your family make it out. Because mm-hmm. you know, you realize like every time I go back to New York, I'm like, my father's getting old. My mom is old. like. Time is not, life moves on. Yeah. As me, as I focus on this education, you realize your parents are getting old. Mm-hmm. And they're probably waiting on you to make those six figures things to help improve the situation. But you also recognize that you could take the easy way and do something faster, but then you wouldn't be content. And you have to, you probably the one as a first generation to build generational wealth. And generational wealth is more than just 
making money right now because if you quit then and you're like you're not building that generational wealth also recognize that the future generation gonna look at me and be like yeah we have a medical i could be that my uncle is a doctor or like my nephew is a doctor something is a doctor okay we never had that before i see he did it i could do that sometimes it takes which it takes you to see someone else doing it for you to have the motivation and be like i can actually do that so it's manifesting all of those things recognizing that you know i have to pursue this uh like even my parents don't really understand why i'm still in school after so long it's just like you got to recognize that you're doing it bigger what you're doing is bigger than anything else it's even bigger than your family it's for more like a community is for the country because like i realized the other day i'm probably the first guinness early on when I complete my MD PhD, I'll be the first in the U- complete it in the US. I mean, they may have completed yeah. it somewhere else, but like I'll be the first in the US to complete a, a two double degree. Yeah. And thinking about it, I'm on the Guineans who completed medical school here in the US, like five that I know of, five or six. Yeah. Wow. So it's just recognizing that you're doing it bigger for the community and you're doing it for yourself too. So you know, I'm not even rushing myself anymore. Even for marriage and stuff like that, I wasn't rushing. My little brother got married like three years ago. I got married this year. So it's like I wasn't rushing because I realized everything's about an, everything's an investment for yourself and your future. Your career Definitely. is an investment. Your wife is an investment. Everything's an investment. Like you got to think beyond just like, I'm just going to do it to make someone else happy. What is making you happy and what it makes sense for you in the long run. So. That's my advice is just make do stuff that makes you happy and stuff that in 20 years, I'm going to look back and be like, yeah, I did that. I'm glad I did that. And that wow. I did it my way too. Because if something goes wrong, at least it's my way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If my parents want to choose a woman for me and, you know, arrange a marriage and it doesn't go right, I'm going to blame them. But yeah. if I choose and it goes wrong, I know. At least I did yeah. it my way. So yeah. it's gonna know, be was... easier to get over it. It's gonna be easier to yes, get over it. Exactly. Exactly. So wow, bro. People exactly. say that I'm motivational. They haven't heard from you. You should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming, though. That's coming. If I, if, I, if I ever get a time. <laughs> if I ever get time. <laughs> Talk, talk about oh, talk about that marriage. So so you got your wedding uh, not too long ago. You found the right yeah. queen, and you guys got mm-hmm. married. Uh, how's yeah. that? How does that feel to start a new life with a with a amazing partner? It's it's good because I took my time, and you know I learned about her, and you know, for me it was trying to find someone who's compatible with my life, um, and that can mean different things for different people. Like, I just wanted someone who understood, who someone who I can grow with and someone who um, has the bandwidth to understand what I'm going through. And, you know, knowing that I'm, I, got, <laughs> I got time when it comes to school overall. And also me, I'm the type, I don't like stress. So someone who wants stress me and I want to stress them. And I always thought, I told her in the beginning, I'm like, I build, you build. Together we built. I want you to be independent. I want to be independent. And then together we have our independent thing that we're growing together. Whether that's family, that's business, that's thing. And I'm looking more than for a wife. I'm looking for a partner, a business, a life partner, everything partner. So, and for that, you got to be strong mentally to do what you're doing. And I'm going to support you on that. And then I'm going to do what I got to do and you're gonna support me on that, and together we're gonna to do what we gotta do. It gotta be like that. You need you need someone. You be like yo, because if you look at that person and not building, and you just the only one building, it's not gonna work. Yep. And if they're building and you're not building, it's not gonna work. <laughs> you both gotta be building separately, but then you cannot both be building separately and not have something together either, because that's not gonna work either. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to have your individual, but also your t- together. So you got to look for a partner that's like that. Wow. So, and Man, you got to think amazing. ahead. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So uh, I know you, 
with, with all the time that you don't have, you are you are so busy with school <laughs> and and stuff, uh, but you're still managing to 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 give back uh, through GMS. And I I talk to Isma, the president. Uh, all the time. She's doing amazing work also. She's in medical school, going to traveling back to Guinea every once in a mm-hmm. while. And, and so what's your vision for GMS and, and how do you find the time to really get involved and, and why? What's, wh- why? Why are you really pushing to get the time to do that work? I think it's just recognizing that every single small step that you do or small thing that you do, maybe small, but it's impacting someone somewhere. Like last year when we did the COVID drives, you know, that could have probably saved someone's life. Um, but we didn't, we might not know it ever. But like just recognizing that just even one involvement can change someone else's concept of something. Like I could be involved here and all I'm doing is foundational work, foundational work. But then someone else is going to see that, oh, they started. Oh, and they're going to push it forward even more yeah. than that what I have done. Like mm-hmm. the vision is for people to see that you know, everyone can get involved. And to recognize that we will take everyone being involved doing their little stuff here and there to actually change the trajectory of a lot. You know, we do a lot of awareness, you know, like Isma, our, our Guinea Medical Society our president, was in Guinea just highlighting stuff. Mm-hmm. Many people probably saw that, like, wow, I didn't recognize. They might be even Guinea and like, be like, I never actually recognized that. And then you see us trying to actually, you know, highlight some of these things and trying to do better. You're like, okay, what can I do within my profession to actually move stuff forward? So there is that end of it. And then, but also for me, you know, I am definitely very busy, but I feel like if you don't find time to do stuff that you like and stuff that's going to prepare you for your next stage of life, you may never find the time for it. It may take me longer than usual to put on a program to put on this, but I'd rather take the time to do that while still doing that than just like, like I'm not going to do anything overall. You get what I mean? So I still want to be involved and put those initial steps forward so that when I do have the title, the power and the thing, I could do even bigger stuff because then right now I'm learning. It's also learning. I go to Guinea. I volunteer at the hospitals because I'm taking in knowledge. I'm taking mm-hmm. in what's the current status. I don't want to go there in the future. Like I'm going to build and destroy everything because I know what I'm doing without actually learning the little things that are happening within the country and how things are moving, what works, what doesn't work and stuff like that. So that's the mm-hmm. vision. It's just to put in the initial grounds just so that we recognize what works, what doesn't work and how mm-hmm. can we supplement that by working with the people there because we don't want to be the ones that go in and we want everyone to have a say in how, you know, getting healthcare works. You know, our motto is redefining healthcare. So mm-hmm. in order for you to redefine something, you got to define it first. So, mm. so that's, that's the idea overall. And just to get the people who are doing or who are in the capacity to do it, you know, people in healthcare, you know, mm-hmm. but there's also people who are in engineers that can help, people who are in architecture that can help people are in any facet of business because you know poverty is one of the great determinants of health so it's recognizing all those things and then you're like okay what role can everyone play in you know improving the healthcare of this country because healthcare is everything honestly so definitely definitely and and you mentioned about how uh some there are some, nowadays, there are a lot of people, a lot of young people trying to get into med school from Guinea or yeah. are of Guinea background, trying to go into med school here in the US and become doctors. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. far, as you said, you only know like five people. We are not a lot, but I'm yeah. noticing definitely a lot of people trying to get into medical school. And in let's yeah. say 10 years, we'll have maybe in the 50s of people from Guinea becoming mm-hmm. MD. What's your vision? You feel like how can the people here that's becoming physician can contribute to help uh, the healthcare system? What's your vision for that? In I think any little, any little thing, whether it's research, public health, whether it's policy, actually trying to influence the leaders there, whether it's going there for a medical trip, whether it's mentoring other people. You could be in the US, that's fine. Be in the U.S., chill, and that's okay. Um, but, like, 
you can mentor other people who can do the work. You could be a physician and helping, you know, like bring medication again or like connecting with organizations. You could do all of those things. So there's a lot to be done. And we're just starting, which is unfortunate, but also provides opportunity to, to basically create guidelines for how we can help overall. So that's the mentality. It's just whatever capacity you're in or you're at, you can do something here and there for that place. Because Lord knows, out of all the countries I've been to in West Africa, yeah, Guinea needs the most help, honestly speaking. Yeah. When it comes to healthcare, structure, infrastructure, Kiala. <laughs> yeah. It's, wow. it's improving a little here and there, but also going back. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. One step forward, 10 steps back. <laughs> so there is that, and it will take all of us. And the next generation, I think, is ready for change. And we just got to be able to direct that change towards something that can push everyone ahead. Wow. Man, this is this was an amazing conversation, bro. We have so many more things to talk about, but let's yeah, take a pause here. Sure. <laughs> definitely gonna definitely gonna bring you back uh, on the podcast. But man, this was amazing. Thank you so much wow. for the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one. Before you leave, make sure to subscribe for more.